We'll, we'll 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 figure it out. Yeah, take that. We'll take that offline. Yeah, we'll take. Yeah, we'll circle back. Circle back. Just a bit of blue. Just just a bit of blue sky thinking there. Yeah, just a bit of blue sky thinking. But we'll take it offline. You could fuck right off. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. For this. Welcome to 2021. The future is here. Dun dun dun. Obviously, we're recording this on. Oh, I say obviously. There's no reason why you should know this at all. Uh, New Year's Eve 2020. So yeah. we're we're fairly sure midnight's going to go on without a hitch. But given the year we've had, we aren't sure. So Fingers crossed. We encourage you to stay indoors and listen to all of the previous episodes of the podcast. Yes, and you know who else they should be listening to, Graham? This is a fucking great segue. Who? Who should they be listening to, Ian? David Bowie. So this is going to be a fun podcast to record because... Am I, why am I pretending we haven't already recorded the podcast? So this, this was... This, was, this went... No, no, keep, to... keep, keep going with it. Keep going with pretending. Yeah, so so uh, this is going to be an interesting one to record because Graham's dog is currently sitting next to him on the sofa and is called Bowie. <laughs> oh, shit. Are we not? So I thought, and this has really fucked up all my choices, I've, I thought the best use of Bowie, I've basically inserted my dog into a bunch of films. Is that not? I'm going to have to give me, give me 10 minutes and let me just figure <laughs> out the best uses of David Bowie because otherwise this isn't going to make any sense. Um, yeah. So obviously, because he's a French bulldog, this just works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we're doing uh, so best use of Bowie in films and TV because the 8th of January would have been his 74th birthday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on release day, tomorrow would have been David Bowie's 74th birthday. And David Bowie, <laughs> given we both have David Bowie tattoos... <laughs> Is obviously quite a big deal to us. Yeah, he's there's also a picture of him in shot here on Zoom. And as you the aforementioned dog is behind me. Yep. And just out of shot for me is a David Bowie print. Oh god. <laughs> we're we're so original, aren't we? Yeah, I mean I've got uh I think there's a couple of David Bowie stickers on the guitar as well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically we're obsessed. I, I I think for me at least it comes from I think 80% of the music I listened to when dad was driving me around was David Bowie. <laughs> Sounds like your dad's your chauffeur. Yeah, no, no, he yeah. <laughs> He's um I would say yeah, proper driving mistakes. But yeah, a, a lot of the music I I he was kind of my introduction to music. It's interesting because I came to him a lot later in life. I, I, he wasn't that much of a thing. And then for me, because I didn't have your dad driving me around when I was a <laughs> child. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because I definitely came to him later. But it's, it, it's a bittersweet thing because there's definitely a really... I've had a nice appreciation of everything that he's done. Obviously, coming to him later in life, never ever had the opportunity to like potentially go and see him or anything like that which is is kind of going but yeah interesting that that you were lucky enough to have have that influence from a young age yeah and i i think kind of one 
one interesting thing with Bowie is <laughs> being a fan of Bowie means that you're a fan of at least like fucking eight different genres. I mean, yeah. he's got a standard pop album. He's gone, he went full kind of jazz later on in his life. There's drum and bass albums. There's full blown experimental stuff. Something kind of edges into like industrial metal. He's, he's, he's also recorded in Mandarin and German. Yeah, it's, and one, one thing now you've mentioned German, which is worth mentioning, Jojo Rabbit. So there is an absolute beautiful use of David Bowie and Jojo Rabbit, but we didn't feel like we could talk about that film again. So yeah. I'll honorable mention out Jojo Rabbit, but yeah, I, I think I spoke about it when we did the um, feel good movies one. And yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of that film. It brings so much together and it's perfect. But yeah, we, we've Jojo Rabbited out, I think. Anyway, do you want to do you want to <laughs> rabbit on about Jojo again? Hey, but, so what we what we've decided to do, so it's any use of Bowie in movie and TV. So whether that's actually Bowie himself, whether that's music that's used, whether it's references and homages to Bowie. But there was a lot, there was a lot to choose from, and it was very difficult narrowing them down. So I have watched three films researching this, and I haven't used two of them. <laughs> So I watched Moulin Rouge because um, he did Nature Boy for the soundtrack. And there's also references to Diamond Dogs in it. Mm -hmm. I always forget how good that film is, to be fair. Um, the only annoying thing is they need to explain why Ewan McGregor is immune to tuberculosis. I think he, he, he got bitten by a bat. Ah, that makes it's, sense. It's the um, last, last, like last, last man on earth, yeah. The last Ewan on Earth. <laughs> I also watched a Ewan McGregor film in preparation for this, which I didn't use because you said my uh, choice was too uh, too tangential to being a David Bowie reference. In I watched Train Spotting because he co-wrote the, um, the Iggy Pop song. Ah, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. Bowie co-wrote it, not Ewan McGregor. Yeah, no, that would have been weird. Hang on, I, I'm just checking if. So, Ewan McGregor is also in a film called Velvet Goldmine, <laughs> which I didn't know was a thing. I haven't watched it, but Amazon Prime keeps trying to get me to watch it. Right. Like it keeps popping up on my, uh, you'll probably like this, but I'm never hundred percent sure how those work because we have a lot of people using my Prime account in this house and I watch nothing but horror movies and shit films. Yeah, so... my Amazon Prime is, is absolutely battered from our bad movie nights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, for a brief moment there, I thought you were going to talk about well, Goldmine, but yeah, and uh, Knight's Tale very nearly picked a Knight's Tale of Golden Years, but unfortunately, it got cold. And the main reason I was going to talk about Knight's Tale was for a drunk anecdote, but I'll have to save that for another episode. So, before we start, I was trying to think of a bad pun, but I'm gonna skip that. Before we get on to talking about David Bowie, it's time for your movie recommendation nobody asked for mm. so i'm gonna go with a it's not it's not bowie at all but it is a i guess someone of a similar kind of renowned and a movie based upon their life and that is rocket man from 2019 nice so a really it's a strange one it is technically a biopic but at the same time there's i feel like it it, it constantly skips between being 
a biopic and a musical. So it's and... it's a hundred percent a musical. I, I think the directors talked about it before. Um, right. He viewed it more as a musical because that way songs didn't have to be chronological. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a great great take on um yeah the music and life of Elton John. Taron Egerton is is extremely convincing as Elton John. It's probably the only blockbuster movie that features a Watford kit which obviously <laughs> deserves deserves some shout out but yeah it's it's fantastic biopics and movies of this ilk are tricky at the best of times but this this delivers very well unfortunately i couldn't choose the upcoming david bowie biopic because one it's not out yet and two it looks fucking awful yeah i i, I want to try and keep things positive so we will leave it at we are aware there's a biopic coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's that's my recommendation lots of good music flamboyant outfits Taron Egerton and what if people aren't necessarily I mean I'm not sure why they'll be listening to a Bowie episode if they aren't fans of music but what what if people aren't into kind of you know rock stars and musicals and crocodile rock <laughs> <laughs> well if if crocodiles aren't your thing but you like bears and if you um, are a big fan of the flamboyant outfits, maybe a nice flower garland, um, a big dress made of flowers, then I think Midsummer would have a lot to offer you. As I mentioned, there's there's bears, or at least a bear. And yeah, it's really, um, it's there's no discernible music apart from bizarre. <laughs> I think I've used this phrasing before, not that we've ever spoken about Midsummer. But I think there's a there's a bizarre wailing sex song, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which is I think the extent of the music. But yeah, Midsummer is um, is you know it's it's a good way to kick off 2021. Mentally scar yourself with some Swedish horror. Enjoy what Ariaster and Florence Pugh have, have given us in um, in one of the best horror movies and best movies ever made. So yeah, I think if you're setting your anxiety bar at Midsummer. Everything during 2021 will just seem really calming, and yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's just it will it will be a breeze. Um, so yeah, in, enjoy that. And if yeah, it's it's either that or out on John. So take your pick. <laughs> Those are your choices. <laughs> Those are your choices. Nothing. So else. Uh, before we go uh, dancing in the street, we're gonna <laughs> hang on to ourselves and another Bowie song title. We're into the episode for best use of Bowie, and I believe it is your choice. Yes, let's kick off this golden year right. Oh, God. It's such a little wonder. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go. Uh, I just need to go looking for water. <laughs> something, something, something. Moon Age Daydream. So my first choice of the best use of Bowie is as part of a Ricky Gervais sitcom. Probably one of the best bits that Ricky Gervais has done i'm not a huge fan of ricky gervais but i i really enjoyed extras mainly because of all of the, the cameos um there's some there's some excellent episodes i think the daniel radcliffe one is very funny patrick stewart one's fucking brilliant. patrick stewart one is very good but yeah bowie rocks up in an episode in season two um of extras and he just plays it so well so extras is basically ricky gervais's character andy millman he's a struggling actor gets in season two i think he's got his own sitcom and in this episode i think the first episode has just aired and he starts getting noticed and and it's so the character was trying to write the office yeah and it came out as 
lowest common denominator, lowest common denominator catchphrase based stuff. Basic, yeah, basically like Mrs. Brown's boys. So yeah, the first episode's aired and he gets noticed whilst they're out and about. And obviously he hangs around with Barry from EastEnders. And I think that's his character's name in Extras. Yep, well. yep I'm fairly sure he just goes like that. <laughs> um, so he's like, well, yeah, well, you know, we don't need to hang out in a pub and get noticed. We, we can go to this like place I used to drink at when I was in EastEnders, which is like meant some nice, nice bar um, in London. So they go to this bar at this club. They can avoid being noticed and uh, being noticed by like regular punters. And they um, they immediately get put in the VIP area because everyone's just seen the, the show from the previous night, etc. But then within minutes get booted out of the VIP area because uh, David Bowie turns up. So, but yeah, he, he pays some money to get back in, pays the bouncer some money to get back into the VIP area. And then he basically ends up accosting Bowie much in the same way he was pissed off at being accosted earlier and sort of spills his guts to him which basically inspires bowie to write a an off-the-cuff song about andy i think i think the title is little fat man but he just starts with little fat man who sold his soul and then just little fat man who sold his dream (laughs) and riffs and riffs and and i think the best bit about it is how he's kind of going through the songwriting process and like people are chipping in with different things like at one point, he says, um, he's like, fatty, fatso. And then Maggie, who mm. is Andy Millman's friend, is like, no, fatso, I like fatso. Yeah, let's go with fatso. And then <laughs> fatso takes his own life. He blows his bloated face off. And then he stops and rewrites it and is um, uh, goes with, blows his stupid brains out. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's so good. And the best bit about it is how straight Bowie plays it. He is obviously playing himself, but he is like for there's no hint of like him trying to be funny with it, which makes it all the more funny. It's just brilliant. So good. It's it's a difficult one because so a lot of times where people play kind of exaggerated versions of themselves. So Neil Patrick Harris in the Harold Akumar films. Yeah. He's Neil Patrick Harris dialed up to eleven. But David Bowie is already caricature character anyway. So it's a very kind of like subtle change. And it's so fucking funny. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. It's just taking himself to the logical conclusion of what David Bowie is, which is just being him, I guess. Yeah. And obviously it kind of ends with him leading the whole club in singing this song. And yeah, it's, it's just so good. And also... Obviously, this is this song itself is, is legendary, right? This was Bowie's last ever live performance. Yes, which he... is fucking mental. <laughs> so he he technically played it. At, um, he he curated an event in New York. Um, I think it was music, comedy, etc. And he got Ricky Gervais to come and do a show, and in he he wasn't i don't know if he was meant to do it but he certainly hadn't told anyone but he came out and introduced ricky gervais by singing this song to a packed out madison square garden so yeah like this yeah is is the last live piece of music that, that bowie ever played to an audience which is just nuts oh yeah it's it's so fucking funny and i think i think he would have appreciated that weird i think so yeah i think so I, there's a there's a great interview with ricky gervais where he's talking about it so 
Ricky Gervais wrote the words and then sent it to Bowie because they were friends because that's the life Ricky Gervais apparently leads. And apparently just said like, yeah, no, can you just write the music to this? We just need something like a bit life on Marsy. And Bowie was apparently replied, it's like, yeah, sure. I'll just whip up a life on Mars for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was reading it. I read something similar about how they were they were mates um and he was like yeah he's he's just dave jones to me like fuck you fuck you ricky gervais <laughs> but yeah it's just it's just so funny and it's just so well executed i think the, like you say the the exaggerated personality but playing it in in such a straight way really um yeah really adds to it so um yeah but it also falls into so there were there were a couple of picks i was gonna make um, so like Zoolander and the prestige yeah. kind of fall into the similar category where, or I can't remember anything where Bowie turned up in unexpectedly that I didn't out loud go, Oh shit, that's David Bowie. <laughs> and now when I watch those with other people, I'm just kind of watching them until he appears. And it's like, look, it's David Bowie. Hey guys, it's David, it's David Bowie. Ain't that weird? But it's the same with extras where it came so, so out of nowhere. It was just like, Oh shit. Yes, that's, that's Barry from EastEnders. Also, the idea that 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 David Bowie is drinking in the same establishment as Barry from EastEnders is um, <laughs> yeah, is just is excellent. It's such a good I, I, even as a song. I fucking love it. it. It's unashamedly, I think, one of my favorite Bowie performances, just because it's. Uh... I mean, there's some there's some great lyrics so... in there. He's got no style. He's got no grace. He's banal and facile. He's a fat waste of space. See his pug-nosed face. <laughs> and then um, Barry from EastEnders badly harmonising. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just him in the corner of the room, like, holding his ear. Just going, pug! <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. So, yeah, great bit of TV. Uh, I haven't gone back to watch Extra since I realised I don't like Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Um, I I watched this episode the other night just to just to rewatch the whole episode. But um, it's it, do you find it quite weird with Ricky Gervais as well? Because I I basically agree with most of his beliefs, like all of the animal rights stuff, completely agree with all of the atheism, completely agree with. But I just find him just such a dick about it all. That's not the wrong way. It's I I think I kind of. It turns out I'm a Ricky Gervais and Stephen Mer- uh, Stephen Merchant fan. I think Stephen Merchant kind of takes some of the the edge off. Yeah, so Stephen Merchant's fantastic. Yeah, he he di- he's the one willing. Or it looks like who's willing to say no. Yeah, yeah. Then frees them up to actually be funny. So actually, like Afterlife is really good, and I can't bring myself to watch it. No, and I I couldn't, but everyone kept banging on about it, so I did, and it is very good. But yeah, he's just a bit of a... James Acaster does a very good bit in his new in the Cold Lasagna Hate Myself um, stand-up show where he's talking about Ricky Gervais and yeah, he, he kind of nails it. But it's... Um, yeah. Anyway, enough about Ricky Gervais. This yeah. is about David Bowie. First one on my list then is 2012, and I believe I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Francis Ha! Um... <laughs> I make myself laugh. So it's 2012's Francis Ha, which is uh, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. The film falls into, 
I believe the genre is New York. So yeah, yeah. it's one of those someone in their 20s who's immature is cursed to live in a black and white Manhattan. That's basically it. There's a load of these films. Most of them are kind of so far up themselves you can't see where the film ends and where it begins. Sometimes they literally do that. But this one's brilliant. The only problem I had with Francis Ha is I had to keep reminding myself it wasn't Sarah Pascoe, <laughs> which is very weird. But it's, it's a really fun film. I, I've been meaning to watch it for a while and, you know, cards on the table, I watched it because there's a Bowie song in it. So there's a scene in Francis Ha, which is a... What is the Ha? What is the Ha? Is it... Are we laughing so, at Francis? Is it a surname? So it's revealed. So the last shot of Francis Ha oh. is her. At the end of the film, she gets this new apartment and her life's getting a bit more on track because that's how these films always end that or somebody dying. Yeah, um, yeah. And she writes her full name down, which is Francis Halliday, but it doesn't fit in the post box. So she folds it and it says Francis Ha, and then the credits roll up over that. So it is a really. It's a really sweet film, but there's a scene in it which is a remake of a scene from a film called uh, Mavao Sang. Right. Mavay. I'll, I'll just be very British about it. It's a, a remake of a scene from Mavais Sang, um, which is a 1980s French film about a rampant STD in France, which is... Um, I'm envisaging like a Godzilla-style gonorrhea yeah, yeah. Climbing up the Eiffel Tower. But you can only get affected with it if you have sex without emotional attachment. So it's, you know. But. Oh, you're uh, being serious? Yep. Oh, I thought you were taking the piss. No, 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 no. <laughs> 100% what this film is about. I have, don't know a lot about it apart from that one scene from it. Sounds like Christian propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm assuming it's going to be symbolism for something. But the scene in Francis Hart is basically the main character running down the street while Modern Love by obviously Bowie plays in the background. And it's just a beautiful scene. So the entire film is really about kind of the character's pursuit of happiness. It's them trying to figure out what they want you, from life. What are they're you trying to bring Will Smith into this? I'm not trying to bring... Well, I'm spelling happiness <laughs> correctly. Okay, here, good. So it's not Will Smith. Um, I'll, re I'll, I'll rephrase it so it's less... Um, <laughs> less Will Smithy. So it's basically this man in black. Who... <laughs> See, it's a Will Smith film. Um, oh, it's a shame because I'm doing Aladdin Zane next. Um, nice little bit of Will Smith, David Bowie humour for you. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's about this character's just pursuit of happiness and life's difficult and she goes through kind of a lot during the film it's about you know that those kind of years i say those kind of years as if we aren't in them where generally you just kind of feel like either you're you're alternating between treading water and drowning yeah those those golden years yeah hey hey see what you, <laughs> what you did there big fan but <laughs> the scene where she's running down the street is just it's just pure someone being in the moment so it's kind of like those you watch it and it, it makes you feel nostalgic for those times in your life where it does kind of feel like a film. Mm -hmm. so like the right song comes on or you're, you've lost yourself in a run or you're doing something like that. It, it's just really beautiful to see. And then the, 
song, which is one of Bowie's more uplifting songs that isn't a novelty song, like perfectly gels in with it. Like it wouldn't have been the same if it was the Laughing Gnome. No. Yeah, but still, still, still perplexes me that song. It's so great though, but not. But it is. It's the good bad movies of songs. Yeah, yeah. And before <laughs> it was, it was before he did anything of note, right? That was like on his one of his early. Uh, yeah, albums. Yeah, so one, of, one, of the, one of the first-ish things he did, I yeah. think. So Modern Love is from the 1983 album Let's Dance. And it's one of my favorite albums because arguably it was made out of spite. So David Bowie, because he was a rock star in the 70s, had a shit manager hmm. <laughs> because that just seems to be tradition. And in 1975, he decided he wanted a split from him. So I think the guy was called like, it was defries or defreeze, or basically I'm picking a load of stuff I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> um, he left. He he left this management company, but he still owed fifty percent of his profits up until September 1982. So that's over five years, right? That he owed all profits to this company. So in that time, he went out. Well, not out of his way, but he kind of purposefully went for still critically acclaimed but his least commercial albums were released in that t- window of time where he owed money to or owed royalties and profit to this management yeah. so he released low heroes and lodger which um and i think scary monsters as well so they're all they're all very critically acclaimed albums but they're kind of the i guess the the comparison would be kind of like francis hart so Francis R was very critically acclaimed, but it's not for everyone. It's a very difficult sell. And hardly and... anyone's seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so Shaw Heroes had obviously the song Heroes on, but it was also half instrumental. So yeah, half yeah. the tracks on Heroes are instrumental tracks. So it was borderline unsellable, everything that he was releasing in that time period. The massive popular thing he did was that's when he released his Under Pressure cover. Mm-hmm but he gave all the royalties to the band. So he didn't get anything from it, which meant he didn't have to release anything to the management company. A level of pettiness I aspire to. And then September 1982 rolls around. He's out of this contract. And then he (laughs) records and releases Let's Dance, which is his highest selling album and one of the best pop albums ever made. I could just imagine him sitting there or... (laughs) You know, just sitting on all of these songs, just like, oh yeah, no, soon as soon as the timer runs out, all of these are gonna come <laughs> out. But it's it's a brilliant album. It's a beautiful scene. I, I really can't recommend it enough, even if you don't watch so in 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 researching kind of the use of Bowie in cinema, this popped up on a lot of things. So I thought, well, all right, fine, I'll I'll watch the scene and see what it's like. And I nearly picked it based solely on that. Mm-hmm. Like just the scene itself is a perfect example of kind of the strength and power that music can have. So even without knowing, even without seeing the whole film, just from that scene, you fully understand who the character is. You know, you can even kind of get what they're trying to do and be. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I it's thought... a perfect, perfect song and a perfect scene. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I watched the the scene itself, and yeah, it's it's really quite simple, but it's really effective. It's what like fifty odd seconds, and yeah, it definitely made me want to watch it. I mean, it ticked all the boxes for me. Like, I love New York, I love Bowie, 
I love running dangerously across uh, pedestrian crossings without looking. Um, <laughs> it just, yeah, but I, I definitely want to watch it as, as well. And I'm also intrigued because you mentioned her surname is Halliday. So I wondered if this is a shared universe with Ready Player One because the guy <laughs> who um, who invents uh, Oasis is is James Halliday. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to the crossover. Cinematic I mean, to, to be fair, yeah, nobody has explicitly said it isn't a prequel. No. Ready Player One, and I haven't read Ready Player Two yet, so perhaps we'll see. Jesus Christ! Can you imagine if the sequel to Ready Player One is a black and white art house movie? <laughs> I, 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 I've got time for that. I'd respect the decision. So yes, Francis. <laughs> <laughs> so my second choice for Best Use of Bowie is for a film. And it's a film where, uh, similar to, to what you've mentioned with, a, with Francis Ha, with a specific piece of music being used to accentuate a scene and really create a sense of, of what's going on. And... The song is Cat People, made for the film Cat People, but used much better in the film Inglourious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino, which is 11 years old now, which feels like... That oh, is, really? Yeah, 2009. Well, ne- nearly, as we're, as we're recording this on uh, New Year's Eve, nearly 12 years old. So obviously, when you brought this choice to my attention, I did in-depth research on Cat People. Um... <laughs> The uh, the 1982 erotic horror film, yeah, which is a uh, remake of a uh, cat people film yeah. that came out during World War Two. It's a weird one. <laughs> Another title would have just from the movie synopsis I've read anyway, just have been prostitutes and panthers. <laughs> but sex panther, it could have been called sex panther. Maybe it was. Maybe it was the but, uh, the inspiration. Uh, possibly. So so your choice is cat people. Um, <laughs> My choice. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and interestingly, so it will come as no surprise to anyone that Tarantino very much liked the film Cat People because obviously, but he and he also loved the song, but he he basically said that he was really disappointed with how it was used in Cat People because the song was written for the movie, but it just plays over the credits, and Tarantino was kind of saying that you know if if he had access to that song he'd build a 20 minute scene around it he wouldn't throw it away with the closing credits and that is basically exactly what he did so it plays over like a montage of Shazana um who is sort of one of the protagonists in the film and she's basically getting ready to commit the the movie theater massacre at the premiere of Nations Pride where... That sounds like a Bowie song as well. <laughs> Theatre Massacre. Yeah. Go um, with Driving Saturday. So Hitler and other high-ranking Nazis are, are going to be at the premiere. Obviously, Shazana has... Uh, so she is... If you haven't seen Gross Bastards, she is... There's a, there's a few threads to the, to the film, as with a lot of Tarantino films, and her story really comes from right at the beginning. She's one of the Lapidette girls and she escapes. She's obviously, she's Jewish. She ends up working at this um, movie theatre in France, which is where the, the premiere of Nation's Pride is going to take place and where she kind of gets her plan together. And so, as I say, it's kind of like a montage of her getting ready to commit this 
this massacre, get her own back on the Nazis. It's it's a really beautifully shot sequence. It kind of shows a lot of facets to her character because you've got the whole kind of her getting ready to do it. But, you know, one of the important things with her is to kind of look the part. She does the whole, with all of her makeup, she also uses... Um, like war paint from her from her lipstick as well and then you also have her like i guess badass side when she's uh threatening the um the projectionist who she needs to develop the film um that they've shot so she can tie it in yeah i think it's the the music itself and the lyrics all fit really well they also used the the original version of the song that was recorded for cat people there is a re-recorded version that was used uh, that was that came out on the Let's Dance album. Yeah, but that's kind of more sort of uh, it's more of a pop hit. It's quite guitar heavy. This really builds, and you've got a really good use of the in- instrumental parts and the lyrics. I mean, there's obviously a lot of foreshadowing with the lyrics, but yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's it's probably one of my favorite Tarantino movies. It's this this bit and the kind of the culmination of, of Shazana's arc is, is really good. I think Melanie Laurent is incredible at what she does. She's so good in it. And yeah, I think it also, you've got this kind of plays out for the four minutes of the, so they play the entirety of the song, which I think is. Which more films need to do. To be yeah. Fair. Yeah. It's only songs in their entirety randomly halfway through. Absolutely. But I think it's quite a rare thing, right? You, you normally get snippets of, of songs in films. You don't often get the entirety of it. And then obviously the, the follow-up where you actually have the, the full kind of massacre and the, I guess, the, this history-altering piece of cinema is, is great. And actually, I think the whole cinema theatre set piece is fantastic as well because you have all of this stuff, but in the setup, there's some hilarious bits like with Brad Pitt speaking Italian is is one of my favorites but yeah it's just it's yeah it's so good and also really interestingly when they filmed the pieces here because there's not huge amounts of dialogue taking place he actually Tarantino actually played the song out loud to the to the set so I mean in his words he was talking about how you know you actually have the actors and the whole crew responding to the music and that they're sort of like watching it whilst they're making it and it really helped with syncing everything up, which I think is quite cool. I don't, I think it's probably logistically quite hard to do, particularly if you're playing music over more dialogue heavy pieces of, of filming. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not aware of any, any other scenes that have done that, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's a great song. It's a great scene. It's a great movie. But it, it was, on, it was the only kind of fully contemporary song in the film, right? Like it, like it's not like it was full of. Uh, God, I, I, I could, I could crowbar all of my choices I wanted to bring into it. So like a night, <laughs> uh, so Golden Years is in A Knight's Tale. Yeah, and A Knight's Tale is obviously a jousting film set in <laughs> the Middle Ages. But throughout that film, they're doing anachronistic songs. So it opens with like, "We will rock you." I think it's got T Rex and stuff in it. And Glorious Bastards didn't really do that, right? So no. suddenly having just not even movie score Bowie, just an actual Bowie song come out of nowhere means it's got an even bigger hit to it than if it was just one of many songs they'd kind of layered into it. Yeah, 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 ab- absolutely. And also I think 
one one of the only ones that a lot of the other music in it is isn't even in English. To be fair, well, it's all um, you're gonna make me say another fucking name I can't pronounce. Uh... <laughs> Inonio Morricone. Yes, there we go. Thank, thanks for taking the bullet on that one. <laughs> but obviously, one of the one of the most famous kind of movie composers of all time. Even even if people don't know him, they know stuff he's done. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it, it's such a. I, I know some people. It had a bit of kind of pushback from people who were, you know, oh well, it's supposed to be set in the nineteen forties. Why? Why are you playing David Bowie? And <laughs> I never fully understood that because I think as long as the tone of the song, unless you're doing like a, even then, I mean, as long as the tone and the messaging of the song fits with what you're doing, I don't think it really matters. No, I don't think it, it doesn't take you out of what's happening, I don't think. And also, yeah. Yeah. like the the original Cat People movie came out during World War II. So there's a, you know, there's a connection there. There's a nod to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. That must have been what he was going for. Um, I'm not sure if Cat People is good, bad movie material or if it's literally porn. I can't figure it out from... From reading into it, it's usually uh there's usually a, a very there uh, can be a very fine line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Venn the Venn diagram there is there is many an overlap. Yeah, is it hard ticket to Hawaii or is it <laughs> Debbie does cat people? <laughs> or Debbie Debbie does Nazi occupied France. I mean that's a that's a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, I do. I do kind of want to watch Cat People now, just because it's it's intriguing. I think is the word. Yeah, it, it seems to it seems to just be people fucking people who can turn into panthers. <laughs> so it's space. It's like it's R-rated animorphs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, R-rated animorphs. God, that is a reference and a half. Fuck me, that was a great. Sh- Joe, but I never want to watch it again. It's kind of like how I remember. I would rather live with how I remember the GoldenEye video game than ever play it again. Yeah, yeah, because the controls just like would not. They don't hold, stand up to modern like. Yeah, and and neither did the grab. Like I remember it being quasi photorealistic. <laughs> <laughs> that's and, because uh, you. I mean, that's because your fa- your entire family are made up of. Um, they're, they're very square limbs. You know they have access. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny <laughs> it's just a weird one but yeah so your choice cat people just gonna add that to the list <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i like that like tarantino i think has always had a good history of music usage right like yeah very few re- regardless of what you think about kind of tarantino or even his films i think everyone can agree his soundtracks are always incredible Soundtracks are fantastic, and it's interesting how they've kind of evolved over the because a lot of the early stuff is cherry picking a lot of songs that either fit with the era of the movie or the style of the movie or or, or the themes. But as he's moved on, there's definitely like he's worked more and more with composers and scoring the films. Um, and obviously with this one, there's a little bit of a mix. But yeah, it's it's an interesting to to kind of chart how the how that's. Um, how that's evolved. Awesome. And I love Tarantino, as as you well know. So my my next choice, which is it's a 
big one for me because while we're recording this, I am looking at the lyrics written on the wall. <laughs> so I have a David Bowie print next to my computer screen that has nice the words to this song, and then it arranges into his face. It's great. It was a great birthday or Christmas present. My choice for this is a montage because everybody needs a montage, and I don't think we've talked about them enough. So David Bowie's song Starman is used in a montage in The Martian. Shout out to friend of the podcast, Tony, who played this on, he did the movie soundtrack uh, oh, yeah. song for us, and I requested Starman. So I feel like I had to talk about it when given the opportunity. So The Martian is yet another film where we spend a lot of money on rescuing Matt Damon. Do you know <laughs> how much money has been spent on rescuing Matt Damon through cinema history? Well, it's got to be it's got to be a fair whack because you've got obviously the Martian. You've got yeah, obviously we're talking if these events were real. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you Interstellar must have cost a few quid. So nine hundred billion dollars. Um, a lot of that, to be fair, comes from so the Martian, obviously where they have to basically fund a space mission. Interstellar, where they're funding inter interstellar travel. Um, he was in... Do you remember Titan AE? Uh, I remember it being a thing, but I never saw it. So he does one of the voices in that, and they have to build an Earth evacuation ship because Earth has been destroyed. So <laughs> fair amount of money. Uh, obviously, we have uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, he was in a film called Courage Under Fire, Syriana, Green Zone, and Elysium. All required him to be rescued from places. So The Martian answers the age-old question of whether there is life on Mars. And the answer is yes, but only when Matt Damon gets left there with potatoes. So And his own shit. And his own shit. Shit potatoes. Shit potatoes. Which is interesting. You mentioned life on Mars. Like, if you're doing... I guess maybe... Maybe Starman's a little bit more upbeat, but you'd think maybe you'd be a little... Could you not be a little bit more... Or is it too on the nose to use Life on Mars for a... So I, I don't think it's too on the nose. So the, the montage in question is... So it's NASA and the Chinese space agency working together to put together this rocket to go rescue Matt Damon. So it alters between kind of full Apollo 13 scene where people on Earth have all the stuff Matt Damon does and they're doing things with it to make... So basically, Matt Damon has to... He actually has a character name, but I'm just going to keep calling him Matt Damon. That's what everyone does. He has to travel from kind of his like space hub along the Martian service, a surface to somewhere else where he can kind of... <laughs> I like the idea of a Martian, Martian service station. So he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's out on the... Uh... The lunar land, not the lunar landscape, the Martian say, landscape. Say what you want, but the, the breakfast at a Martian little chef. <laughs> <laughs> so people on Earth are basically trying to give him more time in his like Martian rover. Then you cut to him on Mars kind of doing all the work himself and kicking himself up for this journey. You're then also cutting to kind of the more diplomatic side of kind of NASA and China working together. And then you also have the crew of the Hermes, who are the kind of Matt Damon's crewmates who accidentally left him on Mars. Hey, Mara and Co. Yes, yeah. And uh, it's them kind of returning to 
returning to Mars and kind of explaining to their families what's happening. And tonally, I don't think Life on Mars works. Like Life on Mars is a fucking incredible song, but I don't think it works in a montage unless it's a sad one. <laughs> but yeah, true. Starman is perfectly fitting with the film. So given it's it's a film where a man gets left for dead on a planet and in complete isolation has to try and survive. But it's really funny. <laughs> like it's, it's a great not... film. It's a very good book as well. The book is yeah, really, yeah, I, really I, good. I really like the book. And it's weird because it I, I can't remember what film we we usually talk about it with films that aren't quite horror rather than films that aren't quite comedy because The Martian is, it isn't a comedy film. It, it's a very funny sci-fi film. Yeah, it's great. You've got, um, obviously, Doctor Strange's mate is in it. So Benedict Wong. The, the, the cast list of The Martian is fucking insane. So I, re- I watched the... You, you sent me the, the video, the, sorry, the, this montage bit, which also you weirdly, you sent me an Indonesian version, which really confused I could, me. I, could, I couldn't find it. <laughs> There's a lot of um, fan-made montages of the Martians set to Starman. Right. Uh, that's um, the only one of the actual montage in the film. Yeah. But yeah, Check like... Check out the playlist in episode notes. <laughs> Indonesian Sean Bean rocks up, and I was like, I forgot he was even in this. He's my favourite Sean Bean. <laughs> But he makes a Lord of the Rings reference. Oh, really? Yeah, because they call themselves... Um, oh, fuck. It's like Operation Elrond or Operation something. Yeah. And it's like, why have we called it that? And sure, it's, like, it's a Lord of the Rings reference because you had the Fellowship meeting up. It's like, yeah, you know that because you were in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Spoilers, Sean Bean survives. It's fucking crazy. But yeah, the, the, the cast is insane. So Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, Jeff Daniels, Michael Penner, Sean Bean, Kate Mara, Sebastian Stan, Mackenzie Davis, Benedict One, Donald Glover, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. It, it's it, it's one of the greatest. I think it's one of the best like ensemble films I can remember seeing. Like Matt Damon obviously has a lot more of the film on his Martian shoulders than anyone else. But it is it is distinctly an ensemble film. It's like everyone yeah. is involved. And it is it is a very lighthearted film. And it is it isn't tongue in cheek, but it's what what allows <laughs> what allows Matt Damon to survive on Mars is his sense of humor and his kind of positive approach to things. And I think Starman being the not quite novelty, but Starman being kind of the the song it is fits perfectly with that, and it really does. It, it's I think any good use of song in a film, you couldn't imagine another song in its place. No, I can't think of what else would have made that montage as effective as it was because it is a perfect montage. It, it really does. It doesn't feel forced. It tells you. <laughs> a lot of what's happening over a very kind of, you know, short period of time. So Starman, uh, so it's from the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, which is one of Bowie's, if not most successful, most, I think, pop culture impacting albums, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was written because the record company wanted a single. So he wrote Starman because that's something some people can do. 
<laughs> they recorded it in a session where they also recorded Suffragette City and Rock and Roll Suicide. So I don't get how, like, how? How just, can you just, just depressing, come out isn't with, it? yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing with kind of songs like this. It's like, I, you sometimes forget that they had to be written. Yeah. Like, Starman, like, lyrically and musically, I, I adore it. And I can't think of someone thinking it for the first time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But, but yes, that's my second choice. Is that So the montage from Le Martian. And yeah, wait, just wait, because... You're just obsessed with foreign versions of this film. You sent me the Indonesian yeah. one. You want to call it Le Martian. Well, I suppose Melanie Laurent could play it at the uh, cinema in Paris. Yeah, yeah, no, that works. We'll get Gerard Depardieu instead of Matt Damon. It'll be great. <laughs> He's definitely someone I would be completely fine with. So actually, that, that wouldn't work because people would just leave him there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, that's Gerard. Like, oh, uh, that's a shame. But yeah, it just it's, uh, it's an incredible song that is a perfect fit for both the montage and the movie. It's perfectly keeping in tone with everything. There isn't another song that would have worked like it did. And yeah, I mean, what better, <laughs> what better artist to choose about Life on Mars than the guy who wrote Life on Mars? He's also literally wait, <laughs> waiting in the sky as well. And he'd like to come and meet us. Nice. Speaking of Gerard Depardieu, it brings me on to my third choice. <laughs> What? Oh, well, this uh, this is an episode of, of a of a TV show, and not in this episode, but in another episode, they they sing a song about being French and speaking French. And one of the lyrics is Gerard Depardieu. Oh yeah, of course. Food de fafa. Exactly that is the the wonderful Food de Fafa by uh, like the Concords. But we won't talk about that episode, which is a very very good episode. Um, I will often say Louis Lapicine. Splish splash. The extent of what I remember of the French language comes from from that song. That's right. So I, I, uh, my German is based entirely on Ramstein. <laughs> nice. I watched the Ramstein um, Madison Square Garden show the other night whilst building uh, an Iron Man head out of Lego. It was the best evening I've had in some time. Uh, I weirdly I watched um, that I think last Christmas when I went back to see my parents. Nice. Me and Dad sat on the sofa and watched Ramstein live because festive. Yep. Anyway, we, we digress. So the episode in question of Flight of the Concords is the, the Bowie episode. Um, no shit! Yeah. <laughs> so this is the, um, the sixth episode of season one. And basically, um, Bowie appears as a vision to Brett in his dream because uh, Brett, Brett is quite sad because he's having body image issues after Murray calls him small. And in his dream, Bowie, played by Jermaine, advises him that he shouldn't worry about that and also that he should get an eye patch. And throughout the episode, for different reasons, Brett has multiple visits from Bowie. So the first time he is dressed as Ziggy Stardust. All flexing in the bedroom, right? Yeah. <laughs> then, he, then he comes back as dressed from the Ashes to Ashes music video. And then the final... The final iteration is as Jareth, the Goblin King, which is, um, yeah, just just brilliant. But yeah, each time he's being given advice by Bowie. Um, and the best one, I think, is, is the second piece of advice where he tells him to do something outrageous when the time is right, which leads to 
Brett deciding to jump on the desk of the guy at the greetings card company because Murray is trying to sell the music for a card and Brett exposes himself to the guy, um, including lightning bolts down his wanger, um, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, why not? My, my favorite quotes are always, um, so Bowie introducing himself. Yeah. So it's always like, so, <laughs> Brett, it's 1986, David Bowie from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's such a spot on impression of him. It's, I say it's a spot on impression. I think any impression I do of David Bowie is actually doing an impression of Jermaine Clement doing an impression of David Bowie. Oh, the media monkeys and their junky junkies were invited to their plastic pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 very well done. And yeah, well, so interestingly, so obviously Jermaine plays him um, in this, but did you know they tried they they did extend the offer to to Bowie himself to play Bowie? Oh, really? Yeah. So, but unfortunately. Due to extras, which he'd just filmed beforehand, he turned it down because he didn't want to do another comedy version of himself so soon after doing uh, playing himself in extras. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's fair, but also kind of would have. I don't know if I'd have preferred this to to his turn in extras. This way, we get Jermaine Clement doing Bowie, and we also get the song from extras. True. Yeah, it's probably the best of. Best of both worlds. They also tried to get Noel Fielding to do it as well, but he he wasn't available. I think it has to, it has to be Jermaine Clement because I mean he's um it it's not the first Bowie impression he's done. Well, I mean it was the first. It's not the only Bowie impression he's done. Um, because his song in Moana is basically a Bowie song. Yeah, such a good song as well. But yeah, and also so interestingly, the whole like thing with um so when when he goes back and gets the second bit of advice from Bowie. Brett tells him that his previous suggestion of wearing an eye patch has caused him to lose his depth perception. But apparently, this is because the the reason they wrote this in is because Bowie had limited depth perception due to an eye injury that caused his left pupil to remain permanently invisibly dilated, which I didn't realize. You, the internet went weird, so I'll cut this out if you just said it. Has he got punched in the head? Uh, I don't know. It, the only thing I saw is just an eye injury. But um, but yeah, and he wore an eye patch for a few things. So like in um. Rebel Rebel and Little Wonder music videos and uh, also his uh, Halloween Jack persona as well from the, the album Diamond Dogs he also had an eye patch as well but um, so you have all of these obviously the whole episode is kind of centered around Bowie but the, the highlight of the episode is the song Bowie by Flight of the Concords which is like a perfect musical tribute to Bowie it, it encapsulates the styles of a number of his songs and they actually wrote this ages before the TV show yeah. even got commissioned. So it was, it's definitely a case of like this episode was written because they had this Bowie song rather than they wrote an episode and then used this song. I mean, let's, let's, be, let's be fair here, Graham. The series was written because <laughs> they had these songs. Yeah, very true. And it, I mean, some of the lyrics are fantastic. Is it lonely out there in space, man? Or is there life on Mars? Wouldn't that be weird? Because you wrote that song, Is There Life on Mars? <laughs> you could write a follow-up and call it, and there is. There's also, uh, do you have one really freaky sequin... Se- oh, I can't even say it. Do you have one really freaky sequin spacesuit, man? Or do you have several ch- changes? Yeah, and there's the whole, like, nipple antennae, and it's 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 just brilliant. I love Flight of the Concords. I heard them play this live at the O2, I think I saw them, but... Yeah, 
just fight the Concords plus Bowie. I mean, you can't get much better. And it's it's done in a it is definitely a a loving tribute whilst also being hilarious. Yeah, I think that's fair. Is that uh, going to be the uh, transition music this week? This is Bowie to Bowie. Can you hear me out there, man? Oh, fuck, I love it. It's so good. It's. I, I used to... I think there was a time at uni where I could play the vast majority of Flight of the Cold Cold songs. I'm a big fan of... Um... Hip hop optimus versus rhinoceros. That's that's fantastic. Even if for nothing less than the my lyrics are bottomless, and then just pause. Yeah, I'll be the I'll be the racist dragon. The first song I heard of theirs was Jenny, which is okay. like a seven minute long song of um him talking to a, a woman talking to him. Yeah, yeah. Jenny, what's the other one that I really like? Um, the we're both in love with a. Sexy lady? Yes. When they're running in the park and she, her eyes, uh, they're not sure which one they're looking at because she has eyes that look in different directions. <laughs> She's careless with her dog. Oh, God, I want them to write a musical so badly. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> it's a shame because there's just the two seasons, right? But also, I guess, yeah, it would probably be. It would, it would, be, a, it would be a mistake to go and try and make more, I think. So before we just sit here, singing Fight of the Concord songs, it's time for my final choice. This is a film I've talked about before because there is no way in hell we could do an episode about Bowie and we not talk about Labyrinth again. Specifically, I want to talk about Magic Dance as being the best song ever written by mortal men. So, so good. As we, uh, as we briefly mentioned in the previous section, uh, David Bowie plays Jareth, who is the king of the goblins, in Labyrinth, and there is a scene where he sings a song called Magic Dance while surrounded by 50 puppets, 12 costumed extras, and a baby. (laughs) Um, There's also a baby gurgle in the song, which was supposed to have been recorded by a backing singer's baby, but the backing singer's baby wouldn't gurgle on command because it's a baby. So David Bowie did an impression of a baby instead. So you can keep that piece of trivia I've definitely already said before. But He's just perfect. Like, apparently there were a couple of people they were thinking of offering this to, and then I think Jim Henson's kids strong-armed him into picking David Bowie because he's the obvious choice. So, Sting. That would have been odd. Yeah, right? And then two people who vocally probably it would have been very good, but I don't know about performance-wise. So, like, Freddie Mercury was considered. Yeah. And Prince. Yeah, so I think for me, the reason it just makes so, like, the character, unless you fundamentally change the character and the styling of Jareth, I don't think any of those would have worked. Because, I mean, Bowie has, throughout his career, had all of these, like, weird and wonderful stylings and, and, and outfits and stuff. And I don't know, I just don't think, plus, you know, if it was, if it was Prince, he'd just go around throwing goblins into bins <laughs> yeah and it's another person who apparently i don't know if he was seriously considered for the role or if he just really wanted it but apparently michael jackson was very interested so withholding 
the obvious jokes that could be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll just pause and we'll move on. <laughs> so the reason I think it works. Actually, and... they would have saved some money though, because obviously instead of they would have just put a blanket over what looked like a baby and they wouldn't have had to hire a baby actor. Ah, well, they didn't. They just uh, used the director's kit. No, the concept artist's kid. Okay. Uh, the concept artist. So apparently, their pitch to David Bowie to get him involved was just giving him the concept art. It okay. was literally just, "We want you to do this. Here's the concept art. Here is a video of the Dark Crystal." And then Bowie watched it and was just like, "Yeah, all right, I'm in." But the reason it works is Bowie kind of has like this otherworldliness to him, anyway. Yeah. So the whole idea of Jareth is that he's, the idea is um, he's kind of, so Sarah played by Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly? Yeah. Jareth is supposed to be kind of like her inner fantasy. So kind of made up of like her daydreams and nightmares and sexual awakenings and everything like that. So that's why he's kind of part dangerous goblin figure and yeah, then yeah. part flat out rock star. So his staff very much looks like a kind of like a microphone. So it's a ball on a stick. Obviously it's David Bowie, all the everything that he's dressed, his massive fuck off cod piece. Um, it, it's all it, it's supposed to be kind of a mix between attractive and menacing, which I think David Bowie can pull off because he was quite a, like he obviously wasn't bulky, but he, he was still quite an imposing figure, I think, because so much of him was behind a character all the time. He could kind of build up this kind of mythology and mythos around him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I mean, we'll, we'll leave the CGI owl out of it, but the, <laughs> the design of him is just, it just accentuates everything which people know about Boat. So it's stupidly over the top. It's weirdly fashionable. It's just bizarre. And you don't know whether you're supposed to... Because he, he's, he's the villain, but he's not outwardly villainous. It's like he's going... It's like the character's going through the motions. It's I mean, just I've, like, I've said this before. He, he is just doing what he was asked to do. Like, there's, there's nothing... She asked him to take the baby. He took the baby. You can't really... like. There's no agenda here, right? He's just doing what he was asked to do. Yeah, exactly. And and he keeps the baby, you know, busy and entertained. He seems to look after it. What more could you want from a goblin? There is that there is that one bit where he throws the baby up in the air. There is that one bit where he throws the baby <laughs> up in the air. <laughs> so that was written in for Michael Jackson. <laughs> he would have held him over the edge, yeah. rather. Just out the window. So David Bowie wrote a couple of songs for this, but he performed in three of them. So he sung as Jareth, um, as the world falls down, which is the masquerade ball song, which is kind of a very subdued ballad. He wrote within you, which is kind of the film's climax where he's, uh, where Sarah's at the top of the castle and, you know, shit is going down. And then he wrote a song, which has been described as a full blown Muppet showstopper which is magic dance. And I can't do it justice. I fucking unironically love magic dance. It's so good. It's both a great song because it's Bowie, but it, it's, it's like it's the best of Jim Henson and the best of Bowie all in one thing. 
And I don't know what else you would want from just sheer existence. Yeah, it's just, it's quite, there's like the the whole like you do voodoo bit. It's just like quite clever as well. Like the lyrics are, it's just so good. Love it. Yeah, so that's actually a reference to The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which was a Cary Grant song from, or Cary Grant film from the 40s. Okay. uh, Where they had, you remind me of a man. It's like, what man? The man with the power. But yeah, I just, I I love the lyrics. I love the song. I love the film. It's, as as we kind of talked about before, it is literally the film I will put on when I either want to be cheered up day's been bad or i just want to watch a good film like it, it's it's great and the, and the perfect trailer for the film is just magic dance it's bowie at his most or at some of his most bowie anyway yeah it's a great song it prominently features puppets and i don't know what else you would you would need and also apparently there is a um a children's dance studio in streatham named after the song Dance Magic Dance. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was going to... We'll do... We'll open a trampoline studio called Jump Magic Jump. <laughs> nice. Next yeah. door, right? Yep. Yeah, we'll just have a whole street just going down the road. <laughs> but, yeah, I just... I just love it. It's Bowie at his Bowieist with puppets. Yep. Can't and and also probably one of the like I think there's a few ways that people think of Bowie in their mind's eye when you say and I think Jarrett is definitely up there with a lot of people like oh yeah it's um when people think of Bowie they think of Ziggy Stardust but they're actually thinking of Aladdin Aladdin Sane yeah like that Um, prick on Bake Off fucking wanker (laughs) that 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 hurt me on a level I am not comfortable with. Because it's a show about baking. It was a fucking cake. Who cares? But I really care. <laughs> the thing that bothered me more than anything is that... The, what was it on now? Channel 4. Channel 4 didn't correct it. Yeah. I, I want a public apology from that man. From that man and Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry. Definitely Mary, I think Mary Berry's behind the whole damn thing. Yeah. Her and her <laughs> and she goes right to the top. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely one of the more iconic kind of Bowie looks that yeah. didn't prominently feature cocaine and peppers. Okay. That's what I'm having for lunch, actually. Cocaine and peppers. Oh, same, yeah. I've got my, my cocaine's marinating. Uh, <laughs> nice little hit, a hint of barbecue and garlic. It's going to be lovely. Very nice. Cool. So, what's your rundown of your top three of your three? Okay, top three of the three. Uh, so number three of my top three of the three that I talked about is, uh, so The Martian. So I'm going to go for Martian Montage, number three. I'm going to go for Francis Ha, number two. And I'm mm-hmm. going for Magic Dance, number one. Because I, I, I love a good montage, but Francis Ha, like, like we said, even the scene entirely out of context still hit me a lot deeper than some entire movies do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if part of that is how shit 2020 has been and just seeing somebody living perfectly in the moment kind of yeah kind of optimism you wish you had but it's uh I, I would encourage everyone if you're not going to watch the film to at least watch the scene because it really it really is something else well and to yeah i mean the idea of being able to 
to run around New York listening to David Bowie when I've basically been stuck in these four walls for 12 months. I mean, that's maybe it is a 2020 thing because I'd love to do that. Yeah, I, I did. Um, I listened to a lot of Bowie when I was in Berlin. Nice. Because <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> um, listened to a bit in, when I was in New York. Um, the, the big thing I did in New York in terms of wanky pop culture things is I got slightly drunk in the pub Dylan Thomas drank himself to death in. <laughs> That's cheery. I, I dragged the people I was with there because that's the kind of selfless man I am. But it's right at the end of the... It's not far from the end of the High Line. Which end? This is going niche now. South? The so by Chelsea Market kind of way? Yeah, I think so. Nice little pub. I think it's called the White Pony Tavern, maybe? Um, isn't, that, yeah. isn't that the pub in Lord of the Ring? No, that's the Prancing Pony. Oh, yeah. We go. Same thing. Um, that's 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 where um uh I was gonna try and think of a niche Lord of the Rings character that drank himself to death there. That's where Gollum drank himself to death there. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway. Uh, your top three of your three. My top three of my three. So in third place, Flight of the Concords, because I guess it's more of a tribute than anything else, still is fantastic. Second place, it's a tough one. I think probably cat people, um, in Inglorious Bastards, it's it's a fantastic bit of cinema and such a good use of the, the song itself. But I it's think such, it's such a weird song title to just be nonchalantly talking about. Cat yeah, yeah. Just, you cat know, people. cat people. You know what they say about cat people. Cat people are behind the COVID 19, didn't you know? Oh, yeah. So it's fucking cat people. It's, it's I mean, over here. They're putting catnip in the vaccines. But because of just the way that, that Bowie plays Bowie in extras and the cultural relevance of the fact that the song is the last thing that he ever played live i think um yeah extras has to go in in first place oh, i can't i still can't get over that that was the last song he played live <laughs> it's yeah that's fair i think um i i love all of these choices it's an absolute bastard to have to whistle them down but that's also the entire point of the podcast so yeah It'd be weird if I, I think I'm, I'm I've been lulled into a sense of security with us not arguing last week on the <laughs> sum up of the year episode. So to counter that, I want all of my choices. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I um. So so for me, Magic Dance I think has to be up there just for the sheer how how iconic it is for Bowie as well. Mm-hmm. I can watch the scene. I can listen to the song. It was Bowie as a both as an actor. It, 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 hi- it highlights the best of Bowie as an actor and the best of Bowie as a songwriter, and it's it's just great. I I love it so much. It's amazing. the The Martian montage. I'm I am happy to not argue about that. I do think it's it is the perfect song for a for a scene. Uh, I think it's a brilliant song as well but for me the other kind of standout one is the francis ha scene i can't quite get over how perfect that is and it wouldn't have it's worth watching the original scene it's based on as well because that also uses modern love so it, it wasn't just inspired by a scene of someone running it was it was the same song as well and i don't think it's the perfect kind of cinematic combination of 
I, the scene wouldn't have worked without that song. And that song then bought the, the, the scene also bought the best out of the song. It's kind of a two way street, which I don't think you get an awful lot when, uh, when you're applying songs to films, because sometimes it feels a bit, I, I, I don't know the way to put it, but we, we've all watched a film where it's like, oh, so this is a scene and they put the song on top of it. This feels a lot more symbiotic than that. I'm getting so wanky on this. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they kind of feed into each other and it, it's just a beautiful piece of cinema. I would, I would happily watch that film again today, actually. Um, I'm not going to, because it's New Year's Eve and I want to get drunk. But yeah, so I would, I, I would go Magic Dance 1, I'd go Francis Ha in the top three as well. Out of your choices, I do like the use of it in Glorious Bastards. I think it brings a lot to the scene. It does. It also goes through, uh, similar to what you're saying, actually, with the Francis Hard piece, is that even the lyrics apply quite well to sort of the, the character and the, the arc that she's gone through. And yeah, the fact that he's kind of picked it out and used it, even though this was made for another movie, um, I think is uh, just just adds a little bit more to it as well. But it's 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 so well set. And also, as we said earlier, like, the fact that they use the entirety of the song. I, I do like the mental image of producers sitting around like a massive table in the studio, just kind of, you know, hands on their temples, just, ah, oh, so we really need to bring someone in to write a theme song for this film. So what's the film about? So, so it's about guys fucking people who turn into cats. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bowie? <laughs> I think we need Bowie. Yeah. And then you'd have like the Bowie phone, which is just glowing in red sitting on the pedestal in the corner. Nice. But yeah, so for me, I, I would, it, it's that and um, extras. Um, I, I agree. I think uh, Magic Dance needs to be number one because it's, I mean, Jareth is just iconic for all the right reasons. I would then go extras because it's Bowie himself playing it. And then he's, he just plays it so well. And then whilst I really like the the Francis Ha scene, I think Cat People in Inglourious Bastards just edges it for how it sets up the 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 climax of the movie, how it the music mirrors what's sort of going on and the fact that it it uses utilizes the you know the entirety of the four minute song through through the through the scene. That being said, I do really like the Francis Ha scene, but I also feel it's, you know, it is, it's only 50 seconds. It's great, and it's great 50 seconds, but I feel that, in, that Cat People and Glorious Bastards probably is, there's a bit more meat to, to what's going on there. Just say Cat People one more time. <laughs> cat People. Thanks. So, <laughs> so my, my, my combined top three would probably have been something like Magic Dance, Francis Ha, and then Extras. I prefer the Francis Ha scene to... So I, I, I've got a lot of time for Inglorious Bastards. The scene... The song adds a lot to the scene, but I could still imagine the scene with another song. Like, would, would it be as good? Probably not. But I think you could add another song to it. That was about fire. <laughs> so even fucking I'm on fire. Chuck some Bruce Springsteen in there. <laughs> um, let's bring burning down the house. That would work. I, I, I think other cat people, which I'm going to say as often as I can, cat people brings a lot out of that scene. But I can picture it with other songs. 
with the Francis Haas scene, I can't. But the thing with um, the thing with the lyrics for Cat People, obviously you've got the staring in your face, the, the putting out the fire bit. But you also there's the stuff around like I love being enraged. You've got the not knowing her name despite the fact that she's about to pop up on screen and tell everyone that her, she's Shazana, she's a Jewish girl and she's going to kill all the Nazis. You've got the piece bit about you wouldn't believe what I've been through, the tears that um, can never dry. Like it's whilst there is the obvious bit about the fire, which is a bit on the nose, you, there's a lot of stuff in here that fits perfectly with the character, not just the scene, but the character. That's fair. So what we need is a remix of Burning Down the House and That's Not My Name. And we'll throw that on there. But no, I, I, I do, I, I do get it. I just can't. I think I'm favoring Francis Ha because it made me feel a lot more positive, and I think that's kind of what Bowie is about. No, Bowie is about killing Nazis. <laughs> I, I didn't get that memo. No. That's, uh, that's the subtext of Spiders from Mars. Ziggy Stardust does sound like some kind of covert operation or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Operation Stardust. But yeah, uh, Francis Hart hit me a, a, on a lot, a lot more of an emotional level, even out of context. And I think that shows how powerful that use of Bowie was. So I would favor that over Inglorious Bastards. So Inglorious Bastards is an incredible scene in an incredible movie, but that scene out of context, I don't think hits as hard as it does if you watch the whole film. Francis Ha, I think that scene does. So I think it's such a perfect use of mu music and a perfect scene, that even out of context, it still has like an incredible emotional hit. So I would put that above Inglorious Bastards, and then I won't argue about it being third. <laughs> I mean, look, I like I I enjoyed it. I think it was great. I do like I I will concede mainly on the fact that it's lunchtime, and <laughs> this is this is going to just go on forever. I do think that I prefer the use of it in Inglorious Bastards. However. New York and Bowie is where I would quite like to be right now. So I'll, I'll give you that. Yay. But yeah, I I still think, I mean, look, we're agreed on the top two, at least the, the, the Goblin King and um, and singing about a fat little Ricky Gervais are, are the, the two best moments that, that we've got of Bowie. Oh yeah. A any song that negatively impacts Ricky Gervais, I could throw my weight behind it. <laughs> it's locked down. So it's a considerable weight. Um, <laughs> But yeah, okay, so we're we decided then. So best best use of Bowie according to us is so number three is Modern Love in Francis Ha. Number two is Little Fat Man slash Chubby Little Loser from Extras. Yep. <laughs> um, as well as obviously Bowie playing himself. And then number one is Magic Dance by Jareth the Goblin King from Labyrinth. So if you agree with us, or if you have any other uses of Bowie that you particularly enjoyed in films, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. And if you want to um, copy us into any tweets where you're hurling abuse at the Great British Bake Off um, about their use of Bowie, you can find us at nobody asked for pod, the number four. And that's the same address on Facebook too. Hashtag not Ziggy Aladdin Zane. Yeah. And then you can also rate us on Apple Podcast and in your review, just leave 
any episode ideas you have for the future and i'm sure we'll get round to them eventually so that was uh first first pod of 2021 yeah more cat people than we had the entirety of 2020 yeah it was uh need more i we're gonna have to watch cat people aren't we we have to watch cat people absolutely for this little fat man who sold his soul little fat man who sold his dream chubby little loser pathetic little fat man no one's bloody laughing the clown that no one laughs at they all just wish he'd die he's so depressed at being hated that so takes his own life He'd blow his stupid brains out But the twat would probably miss He sold his soul for a shiny fate A catchphrase of wigs and the jokes are lame He's got no style, he's got no grace He's banal and facile, he's a fat waste of space Oh, see his pop goes face Oh, no, sweet.